everybody. It is great to see you tonight. Welcome to part two of Escape Room. I'm so glad you're here. In fact, we have an outline for our message tonight. It's a light blue sheet found in your program. Let me encourage you to take this out and use it to follow along. And while you're doing that, I wanted to share with you one of my all-time favorite pictures of the church. In fact, this picture was taken right where you are sitting right now. This is the lawn before we broke ground on the building, and I think this picture captures the heart of who we are as a church and what we're called to as Crossroads Church. We are called by God to carry his message of hope to a hurting world. In fact, right on the top of your outline, I want you to see what it says in Romans 15, 13. Many times I pray this for you as a church family. It goes like this. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, I pray that for you because, you know, basically you need it, right? And so do I. We all need hope. We all need encouragement, especially if you are struggling with anxiety and depression. In fact, last week, Pastor Andy shared a statistic that really just like hit me in the heart that 51% of Americans will have a diagnosable psychiatric disorder during their lifetime. I mean, friends, think about it. That means either you or someone you love and care about very much is gonna get stuck and hurt by depression and anxiety. So we need to talk about it and I want to start out by saying something that some of you might find a little surprising, but it's absolutely true. And I want to tell you that sometimes we should be depressed. Sometimes we should be depressed. You lose a beloved family member or a pet, or you get laid off from a job that you've worked hard at for many years, or a child you love gets injured and has a long recovery in front of them. Sometimes depression and sadness is the most appropriate response. And friends, check this out. It's evidence that your heart is working right. Sometimes we should be depressed. Where it becomes an issue is when you get, end up getting stuck in that dark place, and then it becomes part of your identity. So in this series, here's what we're doing. We're trying to expose the lies that keep us trapped. And last week, Pastor Andy and Stacy they exposed the first lie, and that lie is that there's no way out. And one of the key things they talked about is they talked about the causes of anxiety and depression. And basically, here's what they said. Would you write this down? They said, it's complicated. It's complicated, right? They, meaning it's never one reason for anxiety and depression, and there's never just one solution. In fact, they highlighted four key causes that usually converge together to create this perfect storm, like the mental part, like what's playing inside my head. You put that together with the physical, like I get exhausted and worn out, and I don't feel good, or I don't feel right physically. And then spiritually, Pastor Andy said this, that, that really hit me. He said, not all sadness is caused by sin, but all sin causes sadness. And then the circumstantial. 
circumstances. You can, you can find yourself in circumstances that are just so overwhelming and all of these come together and they lead to depression and anxiety. They play together and a lot of times it produces this major temptation to believe the lie and think that there's no hope, that there's no way out. But friends, I'm here to tell you today, we're here as a church to bring the message of hope. In fact, on your outline, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also what? Provide a way of escape so that you're able to bear it. Would you underline that phrase, provide a way of escape? You see, I believe that one of the reasons that you're here tonight is God wants you to know that he sees you, that he cares about you, and you being here tonight is part of his escape plan so that you can have hope. And that brings us to our second lie. It's there on your outline, the one we're going to talk about tonight. And the lie is simply that my life is worthless. My life is worthless. And to help us expose this lie, what we're going to do is we're going to continue to walk through a case study of one of the greatest prophets in all the Old Testament. And I think God wanted us to see his story so that you can know and understand that depression and anxiety can hit anyone. It can hit anyone. And so we're walking through Elijah's story, his journey, so that learning his journey can give us clues to help us with our own. And I wanted you to know that Elijah's journey into depression and anxiety, it actually started with a throwdown. Now, some of you might remember that there was a time a couple of years ago, I gave a throwdown a cookie throw down to Crossroads. I basically said, hey, everybody, I believe that my cookies are better than y'all's cookies. Come on. And I gave the throw down. Well, you know, that's what Elijah did. But he didn't give a, a throw down uh, about whose cookies were the best. His throw down was over whose God is the best. And here's the setup. Israel's being ruled by King Ahab and his evil wife, Jezebel, and they've turned the people away from following the one true God, and they're now worshiping the false gods of Baal. And in 1 Kings 18.21, it says this, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. And so Elijah sets up the throwdown. He says, let me tell you what we're going to do. Let's set up two altars, build them with wood, then take two bulls, cut them into pieces, put one bull on one altar, put one bull on the other, and let's have all the prophets of Baal call their, on their God. I will call on my God. And whichever God rains down fire from heaven, that's the God we need to follow. And then Elijah, being the gentleman that he is, he lets the prophets of Baal go first. All 450 of them, they start dancing around the altar, shouting, praying. They did it all morning long and nothing happens. Well, Elijah kind of gets a little bored. And he said, I don't know, maybe your God's sleeping. 
Maybe you need to shout louder. Maybe your God's on a potty break. I mean, check it out. That's what it says. And then Elijah says, hey, come over. Let's come over to my altar. In fact, Elijah is so confident that his God is the one true God and that his God is going to show up. They says, hey, I'll tell you what. Take four large pots of water and pour it over my offering. There is so much water that they actually dug a trench around the altar and the water like leaked into the trench. And then in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 37 through 39, this is what Elijah prays. He said, oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, oh Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. It says, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and they cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Friends, talk about a mighty miracle. In fact, earlier this week, I was talking to Pastor Dwayne. I said, Dwayne, how do you interpret this passage? And Dwayne said this, hey, Elijah prayed. God made everything on the altar disappear. And that's no bull. No, no bull. Actually, it was funny when he said it, but Elijah's friends, here's what's going on. Elijah, like he's literally having this mountaintop experience. Things are going his way and he's hoping that the people would come back to God and that King Ahab and Jezebel, that they would see the light. But friends, that's not what happened. What I want you to see here is, do you know it's possible to go from a mountaintop to a pit? And it can happen really fast. So let's talk about Elijah's descent into depression. In 1 Kings 19 verse 1, it says this. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. Man, do you, do you see it? Do you understand? Elijah was part of this great miracle. He's, he's all fired up. I mean, he's thinking, surely now, not only will the people come back to God, but, but surely Ahab and Jezebel, man, they're going to lead the people to stop, to stop worshiping the false gods. But friends, actually the exact opposite goes down. What he had hoped for and what really happened, it led to deep disappointment. And here's why I'm saying this. Would you write this down on your outline? Disappointment is the difference between what you expected and what really happened. And friends, can I, can I tell you, the bigger the gap between those two, the deeper the depression. So you get married and you expect marriage is going to be this, but in reality, it's a lot harder, a lot more difficult, and you end up disappointed and struggling in your marriage. And the gap between what you expected and what really happened can lead to deep disappointment. Or you have these expectations, man, I want to have a fam, I want to have a happy family with all my kids and I want it to be like this. But then what really happens is you start having struggles and problems with your kids and your teenagers and the gap between what you expected and what really happened lead to disappointment. 
or maybe it's a job experience, or maybe it's a college experience, or maybe it's your health. That gap, friends, that's what happened to Elijah. He thought, man, we just had this great experience, but this is what happened. And it led him to depression. And we see that now Elijah responds to Jezebel's threat. And I want you to see how he responds to this disappointment in 1 Kings 19, verses 3 and 4. It says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life, and he went to Beersheba. Now, I want to stop there. First of all, I'd like to go to that place. I want to check out Beersheba. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm stopping here because, you know, humorously, uh, kind of on a lighter note, that's what so many people do. Man, they respond in fear, they run from reality, and they run to beer or pot or pills or something to try to escape and get away from the pain, and they self-medicate. And friends, listen to me. I'm not against medication uh, to help people deal with, with depression and anxiety. As long as it's prescribed by a doctor who is working with you to help you get better, not get addicted. So this is what's happening. Check it out. Elijah's afraid, fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, and then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed, what? That he might die. Had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Friends, what is Elijah saying? He's saying, I am so down. I am so discouraged and depressed. I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'd rather be dead. I wish I'd never been born. My life is worthless. Worthless. Do you know what it's like to feel worthless? To wish you had never been born? Do you know April 6th, 1973 was my day. It was my 10th birthday. My mom put together a little party, baked a cake. All my friends came over. But my alcoholic dad did, didn't come. And we're getting to the end of the party. It's time to cut the cake. And my dad shows up with a couple of his drinking buddies. And he's a little drunk. And he comes in, and in front of all of my friends, he tells me that he, has a, that he has a birthday present special just for me. He tells me that he bought me a special necklace. He says he wants it to be a surprise, so he blindfolds me in front of all my friends. And I'm sitting there, and I feel that he puts something kind of heavy around my neck. And then all my friends, they kind of start laughing and start giggling. And my dad takes off the blindfold, and I look down. There's this piece of rope, and on the rope is a roll of toilet paper that on my 10th birthday, the one man supposed to love me and protect me 
and tell me that I have worth. Man, I'm humiliated. In front of my friends, I try to laugh it off on the inside. I am crushed because my dad just made a declaration that got embedded in my soul that I'm a worthless piece of crap. Ten years old. Friends, I know what it's like to feel worthless. And those moments, those days, those feelings have a way of getting embedded in our souls. Now, many of you would have never guessed that something like that ever happened to me. But can I, and here's why. Because in the midst of a very depressing childhood, God came and he rescued me and he saved me and he lifted me out of the pit of depression. And as a pastor, I want to tell you, if God can do that for me, he could do that for you. And in the Bible, he did that for Elijah. I want you to see God's escape plan for Elijah. Look at your outline. See, in 2 Peter 2.9, it says this. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue. God knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. Would you underline the phrase, the Lord knows how to rescue. And we see how God rescues Elijah in 1 Kings 19, verses 5 and 6. says this, Then he, Elijah, lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. You know, it's been said that sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is take a nap, right? Because here's the deal. The story continues. First Kings uh, 19, verses 6 through 8. Then the angel of the Lord came again, touched him and said, get up and eat some more for the journey ahead or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Here's what I want you to see. God not only gave Elijah what he needed in the moment, he also knew what he would need for the journey ahead. And in this journey, God brings him to Mount Sinai, the very place that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And God meets him there, and God asks Elijah this soul-searching question. In 1 Kings 19, verses 9 and 10, look on your outline. It says, there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Would you underline that question? What are you doing here, Elijah? I think this question is a lot deeper than just physical location. I think he's asking Elijah, what's really going on with you? How did you get into this place? What happened to you? What are you doing with your life? What are you doing here? And sometimes, you know, when you're in a dark place, man, it's hard to see anything, especially a lot of the emotions going on inside of you. That's where sometimes, man, it's really good to meet with a, a gifted counselor or a therapist. Because sometimes when you're in that dark place, it's just hard to see. What are you doing here, Elijah? And the verse continues. Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. 
But the people of Israel, they've broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Would you underline the phrase, I am the only one left? Because when you're struggling with, with depression, with anxiety, one of your main temptations, write this down, is to think, I am the only one, right? I'm the only one that feels this way. No one knows what it's like for me. No one knows what I'm going through. No one knows how hard it is for me right now. No one understands. But friends, that's why earlier on your outline, that's why I put 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful. He'll provide a way of escape. Can I tell you, many people are going through the exact same things you are going through right now. And many people have actually gone through it and come out on the other side. And I want you to see, this is exactly the moment where God brings Elijah out on the other side of his cave of depression. And he does it. He does it in such a surprising way. Check this out. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 13, it says this. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, nobody knows the exact date or month when this happened. But I really believe it happened in the month of September. Because there's a lot of earth, wind, and fire going on in this verse. And that's an old person joke. <laughs> But let me, let me tell you, what makes this verse, what makes this verse so profound? This is where God is going to speak to Elijah, and God's going to tell him the truth. God's going to tell him, this is where you are. This is how you got there, got here. But not only that, I'm going to tell you what to do, where to go. I'm going to bring you back to purpose for your life. And I want you to pay attention to how God speaks because most of us, when we're depressed, when we're crying out to God for help, we want the fireworks. We want the lightning bolts. We want God to just like show up in a powerful way. But here's the surprising part. God speaks in a still, small voice. The sound of a gentle whisper. God speaks to him gently and tenderly. And it was this loving voice that brought him out of his funk, out of his fear, got him back to living his life on purpose. But here's the deal with the whisper. To hear it, you have to be listening intentionally or you'll miss it. You see, Elijah's descent into depression started with listening to the voice of Jezebel the voice of the enemy that led him to anxiety and depression, but it was the voice of God that brought him out. And this is what I want you to catch. Write this one down, friends. The voice is your choice. The voice is your choice. 
You know, Eleanor Roosevelt said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. This means you get to choose what voice you listen to. Now, believe me, I understand that the issue of mental illness is very complex. And when you're depressed, there can be so many voices playing inside of our heads. And they speak in, into how you perceive yourself, how you view, view reality. And for some of you, there were some voices that spoke into you when you were 10 years old. Some of you had a dad, a mom, a teacher who belittled you. Maybe you, there was a, a, a boss, an ex-husband, and you keep hearing those voices over and over again. And can I tell you, there's a convergence of events that can trigger because again, it's not just one thing that gets you into a dark place and it's never one thing that gets you out. But friends, capture this. I am of the conviction that one of the most important steps in moving out of depression is what voice we listen to. See, Elijah, he listened to the wrong voice the voice of the enemy, the voice of Jezebel, the voice of shame and fear and worthlessness, and it got him into depression, and it was the voice of God that brought him out. And one thing that you can be sure of, can I tell you, the voice of God is always a voice of love and kindness and hope. In fact, if you want to try to identify the source of the voice you're listening to, like how can I know if this is from God or from the enemy? Always check the destination. See, all the voices of the enemy, the voice of Jezebel, their intention is they use their voice to try to lead you to death and destruction. That's why Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Think of the destination and where that voice, if you listen to it, where's it going to take you? That's why, friends, that's why suicide is such a big deal. Friends, I don't know how you felt, but last week when Pastor Andy shared that over 40,000 Americans commit suicide every year. You know, there's so much that plays into suicidal thoughts. There's a physical side, there's an emotional side. But I know without a doubt that there's a spiritual side. There's a voice of an enemy that will speak into your head and tell you that there's no hope, that your life is worthless, that you would be better off and everyone around you would be better off if you were dead. And I want to say if you're here today and if you're even entertaining some of those thoughts, friends, God brought you here this very night to speak a different voice into your head, into your heart. He's wanting to renew your hope. He's wanting to rescue you from that dark place just like he did Elijah. And on a side note, for those of us who are filled with God's love and hope, it's so important that we use our voice to speak words of love and kindness and truth and hope. I can't help but think of Robin Williams who committed suicide. You know, he said these words, everyone you meet 
is fighting a battle you know nothing about, always be kind. We need to use our voice and the voice of this church to bring kindness and love and hope to a hurting world. And this is what I'm asking you to do this very night. I'm asking you to choose the right voice, to listen to the words of God. And then secondly, would you write this down? To overwhelm your mind with truth. To overwhelm your mind with truth. Not trash, but truth. Some of us, we feel like trash because we've been filling our lives with trash. But God's truth, it's one of the key ways that we get out of depression and anxiety. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John 8, 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will what? It will get you out. It will set you free. In fact, I want to end my message by giving you three key truths from the word of God. And if you will let them get embedded in your soul, friends, it will give you a foundation that will help you live with hope for the rest of your life. Are you ready? The first one is this. Would you write this down? I am, here's a phrase, made by God. Friends, Genesis 1.27 tells you you're not a cosmic mistake. You're not an accident. You've been made special in the very image of God. Psalm 139, 13 and 14 says that you've been fearfully and wonderfully made. When you look in the mirror, do you look at yourself and say, man, I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. See, most of you, you, you don't say those words. On a heart level, you've been listening to the wrong voice. You don't believe it. In fact, if that's where you're at, here's how I want to encourage you to think about it. I want you to picture yourself walking into an antique store, and you walk by this big, ugly painting that's just sitting there. It's got dust and dirt on it. It's been sitting there for years because it's so ugly, nobody wants to buy it. But you look at the painting, and... and it has a nice frame, and so you walk up to the store owner. You say, hey, I'll give you five bucks for it. And I says, sure, take it, get it out of here. I couldn't sell it to anyone. Please take it. And so you take it, and you take it home to your garage because you need to clean off the frame before you cut the picture out. And as you're dusting it off, right in the right lower corner, a chip of paint falls off, and underneath this ugly, messy painting, you see the letter R underneath. And you look a little more closely and you, you say, what's going on here? And so you chip away a little bit more and pretty soon you scrape enough off and you see the name Rembrandt underneath the, the painting. And you're in shock, like who would paint something ugly over the top of a priceless Rembrandt? And then you realize you can't fix it by yourself, and so you call an expert so that the painting can be restored. And so the expert comes, and night after night, you work in the garage side by side, and the expert begins to chip away the old, ugly paint until underneath you find this beautiful picture of Jesus Christ painted by the master Rembrandt. Do you know that's what God wants to do in us? Friends, we were made by the master, yet this world has a way of painting ugly and worthless all over you. And yet God, he specializes in restoration. 
and he's willing to work with you day by day by day to chip away all the hurt and ugliness that tells you you're worthless until one day you in your heart, you can look at yourself and say, I was made by God. That's the first truth. The second one is this, write this down. I am precious to God. See, you get treated like trash long enough, you start to believe you're trash. And the first step to breaking free, to, to healing, is seeing how precious you are to God and how much you matter to him. That's why Isaiah 43, verses 3 and 4 says this. God says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you. Do you know Mother Teresa once said that you have never locked eyes with a single person who wasn't deeply loved by God. Now, you may be thinking, well, you know, how could God love me? Man, I'm screwed up. I'm messed up. I've done a lot of, how could God ever love me? How could, how could you say that I am precious to him? That's why you need the third truth. Would you write this down? I am paid for by God. Paid for by God. Friends, how do you determine how much something is really worth? Do you know you always determine something's worth by how much someone is willing to pay for it? For example, take this example. The first edition comic book, the first edition of the Superman comic book. Anybody care to guess how much this comic book is actually worth? Would any of you guess a million dollars? Do I hear 1.5 million? Anybody, 2 million, do I hear 2 million? 2.5, do I hear 2.8 million? I can get a job doing this, right? What about 3 million? Anybody say three? Friends, this first edition Superbook comic book sold for $3.2 million. Someone loved the Superbook comic book so much that they spent 3.2 million, like you could have bought two houses in Fremont for, no, no. <laughs> they spent $3.2 million for a stinking comic book. Well, friends, let me ask you, how much was God willing to pay for you? I want you to check it out. Not based on my word, but based on the word of God who tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. It says, for you know that God paid. And he paid for you. He paid a ransom to save you. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Friends, if you ever come to a point where you feel worthless, all you have to do is look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you know when Jesus died on the cross, do you know his last words? He said, it is finished. It was the exact same phrase that when someone finished paying their last mortgage payment, they'd stamp on a legal document that went, 
paid in full. See, God paid everything to have you. He made you. He loves you. He paid for you. And if you will let those truths get embedded in your soul, it will change everything. And you will live the rest of your life with hope. And that's what I want us to pray for right now. Would you pray with me? You're not here by accident. God brought you here because he wants to speak not just to your head, not just to the voices in your head, but he wants you to open your heart to receive the truth that he made you. He loves you. He paid for you. And I encourage you, would you just open your heart and pray right now and just say, dear God, I need your hope. I need your salvation. I need a new mind, a new heart, a new me. So Jesus Christ, the best way I know how, I ask you to come into my heart and heal my soul. I ask you to shine your light and flood me with your kindness and encouragement and hope. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay for me. And Lord, I pray a blessing over every person here and I pray that you would give us the courage and compassion to use our voices to speak words of love and kindness and hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.